How are you guys doing? You guys worn out by announcements? You tired? They're pretty exciting announcements, right? So, yeah. You know, I was reading in Acts um, and got to the part where uh, Paul preached until after midnight. Remember that story where Eutychus and he fell out of the window, right? And uh, in preparing for this, we're always constrained by time. And so wouldn't it be great if we could just sit under the Word and preach for five or six or seven hours? And you guys are like, no, the, the look of panic on your face. Good. Let me pray again for us, and we'll get focused and get going. And I promise we won't go for six hours. Father, we do thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you, dear God, for the unexpected ways that you work in our lives. And uh, we just give you glory for that. Father, would you help us to focus on you? Um, Father, would you take... Uh, my words, and would you multiply them and uh, make them meaningful to people, dear God. Uh, let us make much of you today, dear Lord. Amen. Okay. Okay, in 1902, uh, there was a Scottish playwright, and his name was James Barry. And he wrote a short story about a boy who, instead of following the normal progression that children go through, you know, they're born, and then they become children, and then adolescents, and they grow up. Well, this little boy didn't want to grow up, and so he didn't. And he went to this magical island, and this island was populated by Indians and pirates and mermaids. And he could stay there, and he could have adventures all the time, and he could be perpetually, perpetually young. He would never have to grow up. You know, a couple of years later, Barry turned his short story into... A play, and it was uh, wildly successful. It opened in London. It ran for nine years, and introduced hundreds of thousands of people to uh, what has become one of literature's most enduring and beloved characters. Right? Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Peter Pan. Right. Exactly. Um, over the years, there have been different screenplays. There have been different movies. Different actors have played Peter Pan. In 1954, Disney tried their hand at it, and probably that's the one we're most familiar with, right? The cartoon version of Peter Pan. No? Dalton says no. Who's, who's your? Williams. Robin Williams, right. So Robin Williams played uh, Peter Pan in Hook uh, against Dustin Hoffman's awful, awful Captain Hook. But anyway, we won't go there. Um, and so anyway... Um, you know, introduced American audiences to Barry's character. And so I can see the look on your face. You're like, where is this going? This is nice trivia to know, but what does it have to do with our topic today, which is spiritual maturity? Um, well, you know, Peter Pan didn't want to grow up. And so he refused to grow up. And he didn't want to grow up because he didn't want to give up adventure. He thought growing up was boring. And it would he wouldn't be able to have adventures and it would impact the way that he lives his life. And I'm not saying that applies to any of us, but there are times where, as Christians, we don't grow up. And maybe our reasoning is different. Uh, maybe it's not uh, that we want to keep having adventures or we think growing up is boring. It could be that you've tried. Maybe you don't know. You haven't been taught. Uh, or it could be that you just don't, we don't see the importance of it. And so that's a tie-in. Um, you know, it seems to be a peculiarly Western phenomenon 
And really only in the last, I would say, 50, 60 years that there's this idea that you can be a Christian and you don't have to grow. You don't have to progress in your faith. And that really is antithetical to what the Bible says. Has everybody heard the term carnal Christians? You've heard that term, right? Um, If you have any uh, background in the Baptist church, I know you've heard that term. So those are people who would profess Christ. They would say they've had some kind of experience with Christ. They're, they're believers who call themselves Christians. But if you look at their lives, their lives don't match up. And sometimes their lives are wildly contradictory to what the Scripture actually says. You know, and John has some pretty harsh words for, for people like that. In 1 John 1.4, he says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. You know, Paul, in Romans 6, Paul is talking about someone has accused him of saying, well, because we're under a covenant of grace, we can sin and grace will be abounding more and more. We've all heard the term, you can't out-sin God, right? And so some were accusing Paul of saying, well, well, if that's the case, then the more I sin, the more grace I get, right? So that's a benefit. Uh, Paul says, may it never be. That's one of the strongest declarations of no, may it never be. Uh, In Corinthians, Paul again rebukes the church. He says, I wanted to treat you as spiritually mature people, and this is a paraphrase, and you guys are arguing about who belongs to Apollos and who belongs to Paul, and so I I can't treat you as spiritually mature. Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews, Uh, talks to his audience, and he says, I want, again, paraphrasing, I wanted to talk to you about the deep truths of Christ. I wanted to talk to you about Christ's priesthood and what it really means. Uh, But you're unable to, because you're dull of hearing and unskilled in the word, word, and so you're unable to hear that. And so you can see all over Scripture, the pattern is clear. Nowhere do you find a commendation for people who are professing Christians but are not growing towards spiritual maturity? In fact, you find the opposite. You know, in studying for this, uh, spiritual growth is such a priority for God that Christ structured the church, gave us a structure of the church so that it would foster spiritual growth. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when we were all saved, we're saved, we're converted, we're placed into the body of Christ, and we're given different spiritual gifts. Well, all that was done for the sole purpose of that we could build the body of Christ up until we all attain to maturity. Um, So the Bible's clear that we need to grow. So the question then is, well, why don't we grow? What is it that happens in our life that we don't grow? Um, And so I think there's several reasons. um, For time's sake, we won't go into them all. But I think one of the... Uh, one of the main ones is that we we have counterfeits, so the things that we mistake for spiritual growth that really are not spiritual growth. And I just want to cover three quickly. 
The first is that sometimes we equate age with spiritual maturity. Okay, in Eastern cultures, we lived in Japan for uh, three years, and there's a reverence towards older people because you assume people that have lived a long time, they maybe have gray hair or white hair, and they have a lot of life experience, and so you assume that they're spiritually mature. Um, not in Japan because only 1% of the population is Christian, but, um, but you assume somebody that's been in the faith for a long time that they're spiritually mature. And that's often the case, but it's sometimes not the case. Sometimes there is a mismatch between uh, a person's chronological age and their spiritual maturity, even people that have been in the church for a long time. Um, so people that we think would be spiritually mature sometimes aren't. And we see the opposite of this too, right? So maybe we look at our college folks and we say, well, they're spiritually immature. Uh, they don't have it because they haven't had that life experience or they haven't been a Christian for a long time. The opposite we see uh, in 1 Timothy 4.12. Now, this is Paul writing to his son in the faith, and he's telling Timothy that he left him in Ephesus so that he could combat false teachings. And if you read Acts, you see that Paul spent a lot of blood, sweat, and tears building the Ephesians church. So, so this was a congregation that was near and dear to his heart, right? And so he had invested a lot into it. And there were elders in the Ephesians church because they met him on the beach when he was going to Jerusalem. So there were elders in the church. But Paul didn't turn that job over to any of them. He turned it over to Timothy, his son in the faith. And he says to Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. Okay? So we see that age is not, what I'm trying to say is age is not synonymous with spiritual maturity on either end. So just because you're young doesn't mean you're spiritually immature. Just because you're old doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. But we, in our church, we kind of, not lion and lamb necessarily, but the big church, we kind of look at older people say, well, that's a spiritually mature person. What you have to do is you have to look at the fruit. Um, I have my glasses. My wife asked me, she said, do you have your glasses? So she didn't have to run up here again. Um, you know, spiritual growth is not the same as having accumulated knowledge. So uh, we tend to think of people that have a lot of knowledge. Well, of course that person is spiritually mature. But it's not necessarily the amount of knowledge you have that says whether you're spiritually mature. It's what you do with that knowledge and how that knowledge impacts your life that says whether you're spiritually mature. Um, Paul says in Corinthians that knowledge puffs up. And that if a man thinks he knows something, he really doesn't know something. Right? I always tell my kids, if I'm always having to tell you what I know or that I'm in charge, well, then I'm, re I'm not really in charge. And I really don't know anything. Okay? Um, one, of the, one of the simmering controversies in evangelicalism today is over whether the Bible is inerrant or not, whether it has authority. Okay, it's, it's been a controversy for millennia, but it's percolating. And one of the people on the errantist side, I'll call them, so one of the people that believes that the Bible is errant and is not authoritative necessarily, is a guy called Bart Ehrman. Okay, Bart Ehrman is a, um, Mike, is he a New Testament professor? North Carolina, right? Yeah. So Bart Ehrman is a New 
Testament professor at a university in North Carolina. Knows Hebrew, knows Greek, has studied the scripture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say that Bart Ehrman knows more about the Bible than anybody in this room. Okay? But I'm also going to go out on a limb and risk sounding judgmental in that I would not consider Bart Ehrman a mature Christian. Okay? And largely because of his low, what I consider his low view of scripture. So it's not necessarily what you know or the amount you know, it's how does that impact your life? What do you do with that? Um, spiritual growth is not the same as activity. Okay? So I came from a Southern Baptist background after I was saved, spent most of my growing up years, and we were always part of a Southern Baptist church in the military. And so there are people in Southern Baptist church Southern Baptist churches that every time the doors are open, you're there. And Bob can probably attest that there's people that uh, you get attendance awards, right? Is that what it's called? Attendance awards? Right? So if you never miss Sunday school or you never miss a meeting or whatever, you get all... It's actually a little badge, I think, a little pin, or it was in churches I've been part of. Okay? And so you get an attendance award for, for never missing church, for never missing... Sunday school. People that volunteered on every committee. They, they did potlucks. They did all this stuff, right? Which is all good stuff. Please do not mishear me and say that we shouldn't do stuff. All right? Mike talked earlier about ministry safe. And we need people to volunteer. I want you guys to volunteer. In fact, I want more people to volunteer. Okay? I want more people to be involved. Because there's lots of stuff that we need to do in this church. And we need more people to do it. But activity is not the same. It's not synonymous with spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. You know, one of the, um, what I think is the most terrifying set of verses in the scriptures is in Matthew 7. And it's Matthew seven twenty-two to 23. And it's Jesus, and he's on the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says that on the last day, there are going to be people that come to me and they're going to say, Lord, Lord. And when you hear something repeated twice, that's a sign of intimacy. So when, you, when somebody says, Lord, Lord, that's a sign of intimacy. When God says, Abraham, Abraham, that's a sign of intimacy between two people. And so these are people that think they know God, that think they are, are, are going to go to heaven. right? They've come to the final judgment. And they, they're going to say, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do other mighty works in your name? And Jesus is going to turn to these people and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. And that's just terrifying. Okay, So at the last judgment, there is no hope of salvation. It's done. You don't get a do-over. And Jesus is going to say, I didn't know you. So these are people that were involved in activity. They did good things, right? We would all agree that casting out demons is a good thing. We'd all agree that prophesying Christ's name is a good thing. We don't know what the other things they did are, but we can assume that they're good things. And Jesus is going to say, no, activity is not enough. Activity is not the same as spiritual maturity. Okay. So if it isn't age, and if it isn't knowledge, and if it isn't activity, what is it? 
Well, John MacArthur wrote a book, um, and it's called Keys to Spiritual Growth. And I thought his definition of what spiritual maturity was was helpful. And here's how he defined it. He said it's not mystical, sentimental, devotional, or psychological. It is not a result of some clever secret formula that can be applied to life. Spiritual growth is simply matching my practice with my position. Now, my position in Christ is perfect. I am complete in Him. I have all things that pertain to life and godliness. I have received all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, but I need to progress in a way that is commensurate with my position. And so the key to understanding what MacArthur is talking about is to understand um, that our uh, our position in Christ is not a product of our spiritual maturity. It's not a product of our spiritual, spiritual growth. But our position in Christ is the basis, it's the foundation, and it's the motivation for our practice. Um, so, then, so that begs the question, well, what is our position in Christ? Um, you know, when, um, when you were saved, you were regenerated, you probably... most. Most of us remember the exact time and the date. Some of us don't remember the exact time and date. But the actual moment of conversion was a miracle. And it happened in an instant. Now you might have been exposed to the gospel for a long time. Maybe growing up in a home, you had the the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. Or you had somebody that was building into your life. And they mentored you and they exposed you to the gospel. And so maybe that was a period of weeks or years or months or whatever it was. But the instant of salvation, it was like that, okay? And this is pure speculation, but I hope that when we get to heaven, that somehow we're able to look back on that, that time, that moment, and see what actually happened. See what spiritually happened, right? Because one second, uh, you're in the power of death, you're in the kingdom of darkness, and then bam, you're in the kingdom of light. You're in the kingdom of the sun. Right? The scripture says you're a new creation. What did that look like? What was that? All right? um, we're identified with Christ. Paul says in Ephesians that we are seated in Christ. So we're all sitting here in this room, but in a sense, we are seated in heaven with Christ at the right hand of God. That's how we're so identified with Christ. We're eternally secure. Romans 8 Right? Most people, uh, we were talking about this in theology on Thursday. We were talking about Romans 9, not Romans 8. But everybody loves Romans, and Romans 8 is good, and then you get to 9, and it's just like, well, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Um, I would encourage you to study Romans. It's a great book. It's tough. It's hard. But anyway, that was a bunny trail. Sorry. Romans 8, right? Paul says there is nothing that can separate us from Christ. Nothing. Not sword, not famine, not powers, not principalities. We are are eternally secure in Christ. And I I kind of beat that horse, uh, a dead horse, because it's important that we understand that. Because we're all performance-driven, right? In some aspect or not. Whether it's with your job or your home. And we tend to think that our performance determines our position. Okay, so that's why some of us get frustrated because we, being human, we sometimes return to that same thought pattern. 
we sometimes return to that same sin. We sometimes we just can't get past this one thing. And so there's always something in the back of our mind when you return to those things, thinking, well, is this it? Have I, have I finally crossed that bridge and, and God's going to be, I'm done with you. That's, that's just one too far. Um, and that is exactly the opposite of what the Scripture says. Listen, when we understand that spiritual maturity and spiritual growth is not about earning something that we already possess. We can't earn it. We already have it. Okay, our position in Christ, nobody can take that away from us because it's given by God. Who's going to take it away from God? Nobody. Right? There is no higher power that can take it away. When we understand it, um, that's liberating. Right? Or I hope it's liberating. All right, you guys are checking out. I can, I can feel it. Feel, I'm going to have to do jumping jacks or something. Okay. All right, so, so then the question is, well, all that's great, but how do, we, how, do we, how do we do that? How do we make our practice match our position? Um, and I want to say a couple of things, but first I want to caveat it, okay? So spiritual growth, we definitely have a part in it, but any growth that you do, any growth that you experience is a work of the Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in you. All right? So you're not going to grow at all without the Holy Spirit because the things of God are experienced by God's Spirit. The Spirit shows us the Word, shows us what's in the Word, shows us our character. So you can't grow. It's not by force of will. It's not by sheer determination. It's not by... Uh, diligent study that you grow. But we do have a part in it. And so what is that part? Well, the first one should come as no surprise. Okay, If you've ever been to this church before or you've been to this church for a long time, uh, the first way that we grow spiritually shouldn't be a surprise. Mike mentions it almost every time that he teaches. So what is it? Read your Bibles. Good job. Right? Yeah, read your Bibles. Uh, you know, just like we need physical food to nourish our bodies, we need the Word of God to nourish our spirits and our souls. Um, now, I'm not talking about uh, just reading your Bible to gain facts or to gain knowledge. I'm talking about reading your Bibles and asking the Holy Spirit to change your heart when you do that. And the other thing is, you know, we live in such a, we live in an amazing age. It just really is incredible. Um, there's more power on this little device on my hip than there was in a room-sized computer 50 years ago. We have access to the early church fathers. Their writings are digitized. Um, one of our members of our congregation, Matt Wilson, went and was digitizing Greek manuscripts, right? So, so all that is online. We can read Spurgeon's sermons. We can read Calvin's commentaries. We can read Jonathan Edwards' stuff. Uh, conte- more contemporary guys. You can download John Piper's sermons for free. All his books for free. John McC- I mean, there is no end to the amount of stuff we can, we can get. All right? And all that's good. And I would encourage you to take advantage of all of it. But all of that stuff is no substitute for sitting down in a quiet place and asking the Spirit as you open the Word and as you study it to transform your life. Okay? 
So those are all good things, but they are not a substitute for diligent study of the Word. And the second key is prayer. And there are several reasons that prayer is a key to spiritual growth. Prayer is one of the means that we submit our will to God, right? So when we come to God, we're asking Him to do something in our life or to do something in somebody else's life. and We're acknowledging that we're dependent. We're dependent on God, and so we're submitting our will to Him. Over and over in the epistles, you see Paul talking about asking people to pray for him. Pray that I'll be, have boldness. Pray that the Word of God would have, bear fruit. And over and over you see Paul saying, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God would do something in you. I'm praying that you'd know more of Christ in your life. Okay? And so, um, as we do that, as, as we ask people to pray, and as we pray for others, that's one of the ways that we grow spiritually. Um, every month, we put out a prayer calendar, right? <clears throat> this one is for February, and it's pink, because what is... Valentine's Day, all right, good. All right, so it's this lovely shade of pink. All right, but what a blessing, right? Every day has somebody's name on it. Um, and you don't, you don't necessarily have to know the person or, or be really involved with their life to, to just go through that and pray, God, would you do something in that person's life? Would you make yourself known to them in a deeper way? Would you... Would you give them more of your spirit? Would you teach them something from the Word? Would you work in their relationships? Okay, what, that's, that's an easy way that we can bless each other. Um, and the third key is fellowship. So if you look in Acts, you look in Acts 2, and the early church, they were fellowshipping all the time. They outdid the Baptists in fellowshipping. Okay? Um, they were in each other's homes. They were sharing meals together. They were worshiping together in the temple. They were always together. They were selling their stuff and giving it to each other so that nobody had any lack. And so they were a model for fellowship. And the result was, if you look at the early, early chapters of Acts, uh, there were miracles being performed. People were added. I mean, 5,000 people being added to the church, 3,000 people being added to the church. People were getting saved because they were looking at the fellowship. Um, and so we need to be in fellowship. You know, I'm always suspicious of somebody that tells me, well, I don't need to go to church to experience God, or, or I don't need to go to church, or, or I, you know, I, I like Jesus, but I'm, I'm just not into the church. I'm not into organized religion. I can I can get the same thing in the mountains or I can get the same thing on the lake or the golf course or the, the stadium or wherever. I'm always suspicious of those people. Uh, you know, and I like the mountains. I love going to Colorado, and sometimes that's a spiritual experience. Uh, you see God's beauty, but it's not the same. It's not the same as being together in a room. Listen, if if you're not here or I'm not here then there's no opportunity for us to speak into each other's lives. Okay? There's no opportunity for us to see what's going on with each other. Hebrews tells us that not to forsake the assembling of the saints. Because, because why? Because that's where we're spurred on. Right? That's where we spur each other on to love and good deeds. 
If, if you're not at church or I'm not at church, that doesn't happen. If we're not in fellowship with each other, if you're out there doing the Lone Ranger thing or I'm out there doing the Lone Ranger thing, it's easy to hide. It's easy to hide our sin, right? And so, um, you know, the Scripture says that our enemy is a roaring lion and he's searching for prey. And remember, you guys ever watch wildlife shows? Does anybody watch wildlife shows, right? You watch National Geographic or Discovery or something like that. What's the first thing the predators do? Right? They cut somebody out of the herd, right? They, you know, they're chasing that, they're chasing that little antelope or they're chasing that little gazelle or whatever, and, and, they, and they cut them off from the herd because there's safety in the herd. And it's the same way with us. If we're not working with each other, we're not in each other's lives, then we're not growing. Okay, and also, you know, if you look in this room, there's about 100 people in this room or so, and there will hopefully be that many, at least in the next service. Um, we all come from different backgrounds. We all were raised differently. We all have different education, educational backgrounds. We all have different socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, we disagree on, maybe disagree on politics. We maybe disagree on sports teams. Uh, and some of us are not shy about sharing those disagreements. And, and some of us are more shy about sharing those disagreements. But the point is, is we're all different. Okay? But we're all family. And so in a family, when you get different people uh, together, and there's, there's a little bit of friction, and there's a little bit of rubbing. And let me tell you, we're blessed as a congregation because we don't have a lot of conflict. Or if we do, my head is just in the sand and I don't know it. And you guys are really just fighting with each other all the time. Uh, but you're good actors because we don't, we don't have conflict. But listen, when, when we rub against each other or we have a little bit of friction and when we handle that well, when we honor each other above our own needs, when that person really irritates you and you're like, I'm going to forgive that. I'm going to let that go. Okay? When we respect and love each other, not when we're like this, but when we do it well, you can't help but grow spiritually. Okay? Because that's God knocking off those rough edges. Okay. I'm running out of time. So, you might ask, um, sounds like a lot of work, right? Spiritual, growing spiritually sounds like a lot of work. And you might ask, well, what's the payoff? Um, or is there a payoff? You know, maybe at this point you're thinking, well, like Peter Pan, it's much better to, to stay in Neverland and have adventures all the time than to grow up and to have to do all this hard work to grow. Well, there's always a payoff. Uh, there's always a payoff for spiritual growth. And Paul again tells Timothy that not only in this life is there a payoff, but there is a payoff in a future life. Okay? Um, just another short bunny trail. Sorry. We'll end on time. We'll end on time, I promise. Um, when I was in Saudi Arabia, many, many, many years ago, Randy Travis came over. And some of you may not even know who Randy Travis is. But anyway, he's a country singer. And uh, I'm not a big country fan. I apologize. I know that's heresy to some people. Um, and I don't even remember what he did, but the chorus of one song that he sang stuck out 
to me, and I can't remember the name of the song. But anyway, the chorus was, work your fingers to the bone, and what do you get? Bony fingers. Dalton's heard that song too, right? Um, And so that kind of resonated with me because it really encapsulated military life. So if you've been in the military, you know that uh, you do all this stuff, and you do all this stuff, and you do all this stuff, and really, you have no idea why you're doing it. You know, you hope, Kent's not here, right? I'm going to poke at officers. Uh, You hope the officers above you know what's going on. You're not always sure that they do. Uh, They always act like they do, but you're never really sure. Uh, But you just do all this stuff, and you're hoping hoping there's some benefit to it. You're hoping there's some payoff to it. Okay, well, that can translate to our spiritual life, right? Well, I have to study my... I have to study the Word, prayer. I have to put up with these people that annoy me. And and what's the payoff? Well, I want to suggest. Um, I want to suggest a couple. All right. The first one, and we're going to go back to Ephesians. The first one is that when you're growing towards spiritual maturity and you're spiritually mature, you will not be tossed around by different waves of doctrine. Okay. Now, there have been false teachers and there have been heresies since the church was founded. Some of those guys were pretty convincing. Some of them were really not convincing at all. And our day and age is no different. I mentioned Bart Ehrman earlier and the controversy over inerrancy. Well, there are other different controversies. There are voices that would say they're Christians that want to redefine what it means uh, for gender for marriage, for sexual complementarity, okay? And I'm going to be honest with you, some of those voices are pretty compelling. Some of those arguments make sense. If you're not grounded in the Word, if you're not, if you're not anchored to what God's Word says, you're susceptible to being led astray by that. You're susceptible to falling for those things. Um, another benefit is that you're going to bear fruit. In John 15, Jesus said that one of the proofs of discipleship is that you bear much fruit, right? So that's something we should all be interested in. Fruit bearing is something we should be actively pursuing. Um, Mike has talked before about the Bema judgment seat. I hope you guys have heard that. And that's a, that's a believer's judgment where it's not in respect to salvation, but it is in respect to works and rewards. And so we're all going to stand before Christ, and what we've done is going to be tested by fire, is what Corinthians says. And whatever is of gold and precious gems is going to last, and whatever is wood, hay, stubble, and straw is going to get burned up. And so you yourself will be saved, but it's going to be like you escaped from a fire with only the shirt on your back. Okay, well, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to show up with arms full of straw and stand in front of God stand in front of Christ and and see all that get burned up. And so one of the reasons is we want to be, um, we want to bear fruit. I'm going to close with uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And this is Paul. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known.
So in the end, growing towards spiritual maturity is really practice for heaven. Okay? And when we get there, we're going to see Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith and the lover of our soul. And we're going to see him with eyes that can really comprehend who he is. They can see his glory and not be blinded by it. And with minds that have been changed and can understand who it is that we have worshipped for so long. And so, until that day, let's work so that we can present ourselves mature. Father, we just thank you that uh, your word says that uh, you have begun a work in us and that you will bring it to completion. And we thank you, dear God, that, uh, that you are for us, that you love us. Uh, Father God, for your concern and your care for us, dear God. Father, as we worship you in song, uh, help us, dear Lord, to, again, uh, just make much of you, dear God. Amen.